0: Now, since the cross becomes the focus of His mission, since it is where He is going and He is going to die, those who follow Him must understand the implications. And that brings us to our text, which is verses 21-27. through The passage is actually built upon the confession of Peter concerning who Christ is. So, in our reading, let's back up to verse 18. And it happened as he was alone praying and his disciples joined him and he asked them saying, who do the crowd say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. And He strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And then He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in the Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now there are three parts to the text that I want you to see. Uh, First, that we are with Him in faith. We are with Him by faith. uh, Especially verses 18 through 22 in that area. And then we are with Him in suffering. And this is particularly verse 23, but extending a little further, maybe down as far as verse 26 as well. And then we are with Him in glory, which includes... Elements from verse 24 through verse 27. I know that tomorrow night, Ryan's going to be speaking from 1 Corinthians 15. And the glory part of the resurrection, I think, will emerge. I'll probably give the least attention uh, to that particular point. Uh, but I, I trust that we'll be thinking about our union with Christ. And that's, that's the meaning of that expression for the theme of these meetings is with him With Him is a way of expressing our union with Christ. So another way of expressing the meaning of this text is to say that we are united to Christ by faith. We are united to Him in suffering and we shall be united to Him in glory. So first, we are with Him by faith. Now, in these early verses here, Jesus discloses His identity and His mission. Another way of saying that is he explains his person and his work. Now, if a person would be a Christian, that is, if they would be joined to Christ by faith, if they would be bone of his bone, one spirit, of one spirit with the Lord, if a person would be a Christian, then he must believe in the person and work of Christ. And so these verses actually spell out the gospel facts. These are the indicatives. This is who the Son is, and this is what He must do. And so we have the majesty of the person of Christ, and then we have the mystery of His work as the crucified and risen Messiah. I say the mystery of His work because their understanding and expectation of what the Messiah would do was entirely different from the plan and mission that Jesus speaks of here. Now, Peter's confession is that Jesus is the Christ of God. It's a declaration of the glory of His person. He is the Messiah. He is the Anointed One of God. He is the Lord, the Savior of the world. He is the Son of God. He is the fullness of deity in true humanity. In fact, even His title that He speaks later of Himself, the Son of Man, takes us back to Daniel chapter 7, where we are reminded of the glorious person who comes to the Ancient of Days and receives dominion and a kingdom which will endure forever. But why didn't Jesus want people to know who He was? Did you notice verse 21? And He strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one. To tell what? That He is the Christ of God. What an unusual thing. We know from John's account of the feeding of the 5,000 that the crowds wanted to take him and force him to be their king. The feeding of the 5,000 occurs in this chapter as well. But Jesus will be king, but only on his own terms and in his own time. He does not need a crowd driven by their appetites and their curiosity to establish his authority. They were following Jesus for gain. They were following Jesus for food. They were following Him for conquest and for power and for glory. Now since Jesus' self-disclosure in this chapter identifies Himself to his, as the Messiah to His disciples, it would seem like the apostles would come up with the idea to mount a campaign to let everybody know, to get the masses involved, to use the media as to who Jesus is, and all those old guys that are trying to resist the truth of who Jesus is will just overcome them by the sheer popularity of Jesus and the power of the press and uh, the spread of His empire in that way. But Jesus absolutely forbids this. The popular opinions of His identity were actually blasphemous. The idea that he was John the Baptist raised from the dead, that's a far cry from being the son of God. And that he was one of the old prophets or, you know, that he was Elijah. Th- those things, these were all wrong and even sinful speculations about who Jesus is. They certainly didn't, were not rooted in the scriptures as to what and who Jesus is and what he had said, what he had done, and the messia- messianic implications of his message. You know, a little later we have the transfiguration in this chapter. And the transfiguration is really a mirror of this conversation as well. Because here you have uh, Moses and Elijah, two of the prophets from the Old Testament. And they are talking with Jesus about who He is, His person and His work. And when the confused disciples want to build, you know, a, a, a little tabernacle for each of them, then a cloud comes over and a voice comes from the Father who says, this is My beloved Son. Hear Him! And so the, the dignity, the majesty of the person of Christ is, is brought strongly forward in this text. Uh, the, the campaign of spreading the news and trying to gain support, uh, to try and make Him King by force, It might bring in some kind of a kingdom, but it wouldn't be the nature of the kingdom of Christ. There would be enthusiastic followers, but probably not regenerate or saved people. We certainly have enough of that these days. When a person puts their faith in Christ, when they trust in Him alone for salvation, they have to understand who Jesus is. When you trust in Jesus, you know, when you talk about who Jesus is, You cannot take for granted that people know. You realize that for a lot of people in in this county, they think that Jesus Christ is a swear word. And they actually don't know anything else about Him. And if you go talking to them, you know, with cliches like Jesus is the answer or those kinds of things, you, you are not giving them the clear gospel. The gospel is the person and work of Christ. You need to tell them, who Jesus is. And so, when a person trusts in Christ, they have to know who He is. He is not some political demigod who will help the masses of Israel to get what they want, namely political freedom, global preeminence, earthly power. Those popular conceptions of Jesus' identity were not based on the Bible. Only faith can see Jesus for who He is. You remember John's words, "...and we behold His glory." That is, they were looking at Jesus with the eye of faith. We beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We saw Him for who He was because the eyes of our our hearts had been opened by the Spirit of God. We saw Him for who He is by faith. Faith has to embrace the person of Christ. So Jesus warns them not to give away His identity because they won't understand His mission. They think His mission is something else. But He describes what He must do there in verse 22. The Son of Man must. He must suffer many things. Great suffering. This is the idea of suffering by violence. He must be rejected. This is a word that's used of of testing metals... And when one is found inferior or not to meet a certain standard, it's rejected. And when it's used of persons, it's used of the idea that they test one's claims and then uh, cast them aside so they're not who they say they are. So he says he must suffer violence, persecution. He must be rejected by this unity of the leadership of Israel, the elders, the chief priests, the scribes. He must be killed and be raised the third day. These are the must, these are the indicatives of the Gospel. This is what a person must believe if they would be a Christian. This was the Father's plan and this was the Son's mission. But that's not what people expected. They were looking for power, not weakness. They were looking for glory, not the cross. They were looking for a political sovereign, not a sacrificial sufferer. And no one can be saved or become a follower of Jesus Christ unless they believe in His identity as the God-man and in His redemptive work of dying as a sacrifice for sin to satisfy the wrath of God against sinners. And by faith, we are united to His person. Okay? His glorious person. When you are saved, you are united to Christ. And, and He becomes your head, You see, the glory of His person. He becomes your husband. He is the husband of the bride. He becomes your king. And you are subject to Him. When you believe, you are united to His glorious, majestic person. And you worship Him. And you confess Jesus is Lord. And you must also be united by faith with His work. If we're unwilling to humble ourselves and confess Him as Lord. And if we're unwilling to embrace the truth that He is Savior by virtue of His substitutionary sacrifice for us, then we can't be saved. See, our unwillingness proves several things. One, we, we don't believe He's King of kings and Lord of lords. We, we, will, we refuse to have Him to reign over us. We believe we have a righteousness of our own. We don't think we need the righteousness of Christ. You can't be saved apart from the person and the work of Christ. And so we need to embrace the majesty of His person and the redemptive work uh, of, of, of the cross. And we do so by faith. So we are with Him by faith. That's how a person becomes a disciple. And that brings us to the second point. We are with Him in suffering. So we come to verse 23. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This passage provides a warning to anyone who considers following him, but they're unwilling to count the cost. In fact, there's a series of people who come up with excuses down toward the end of the chapter, verse 57 and following. You can read those later. See, not everyone who comes and says, I want to follow Christ, is actually going to be a follower of Christ. There has to be more than desire. This passage stands as a warning. His disciples must share in his rejection and must be willing to endure the same violence and shame that he experienced from the world, it is impossible to avoid the cross and still be his disciple. It is impossible to avoid the cross and still be his disciple. By faith, all disciples must identify with their Lord in his cross before they receive the crown. And so verse 23 begins with that condition, if anyone desires... This verse teaches us a practical description of what it means to be united to Christ in His death. That's a spiritual truth. It is pictured in baptism. When we are placed into the water, it illustrates that we believe that Jesus died and was buried, and we are trusting in His death as as a substitute for our sin, as a sacrifice for our sin, a payment for our sin. We are trusting in His death to save us. And when we are placed into the water, we are saying, I I am believing, embracing, I am joined to, I am identified with His death. And and in His death, I am dying. I am crucified with Him. And when we are raised out of the water in baptism, it illustrates that we believe that He rose from the dead. And we believe that His life is now our life, that He lives in us, that we receive from Him spiritual life, eternal life, the very life of God in the soul of man. But this is not just positional truth. This is practical truth. And so Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So discipleship is actually the display, the practical display of the death and resurrection of Christ in my life. Let me say that again. Discipleship, following Christ, is the practical display of the death and resurrection of Christ in my life. In my daily life, I am with him in his sufferings and in his resurrection. I'm not trying to take Ryan's message there, but I'll try to concentrate on the first part of that. Every day, every day a believer is given many opportunities to deny himself, to open his hand to receive the nail of Calvary, to give up his rights, to seek the interest of Christ rather than his own interest. And in these experiences, the believer puts on display the death of Christ in self-denial and cross-bearing. And he demonstrates the life of Christ through love and holiness and patience and godliness. And I suppose that everyone here realizes that the tabernacle in the wilderness, you can read about it, Exodus 25 through Exodus 40, its construction and, and so forth, Uh, It is a picture of Jesus Christ. The tabernacle is a type of Jesus Christ. In Exodus 40, Moses raised up the tabernacle for the first time. Put it all together. And when he did, the Shekinah glory of God came down over the Holy of Holies at the very center of the tabernacle. And there you have it. That is Emmanuel, God with us. The initial raising up of the tabernacle is a picture of the incarnation, God dwelling with man. And so the Apostle John says in chapter 1 of his Gospel, the Word became flesh and tabernacled with us. Well, as the Israelites traveled through the wilderness, the tabernacle would be taken down. When it was taken down, the kind of glory would go up. It would go over the Ark of the Covenant, which would lead the people of Israel in their journeys, and then the tabernacle would be uh, rebuilt, it would be raised up again when the people encamped, and the glory of God would once more settle over the Holy of Holies. And so in the journeys of Israel, we see again and again the tabernacle coming down and then being raised up, being taken down and then being raised up, taken down and raised up over and over again as they go through the wilderness. Well, Beloved, that's a picture of the cross and resurrection of Christ. All through their journeys, through the wilderness, Christ in His death and resurrection, 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 resurrection, over and over again. A continual type and picture of Christ. Likewise, You, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, joined and united to Christ in His death and resurrection. Every day, as you travel through the wilderness of this world, you have the opportunity to put the gospel of Jesus Christ on display. Daily, you put to death the flesh. You take up the cross. You lose your life. You deny yourself. That is nothing other than the display of your union with Christ in His sufferings and in His death. And also, and equally, by bearing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, by holiness of life and godliness, you put on display your union with Christ in His resurrection. And so in your life, As you die to self in experiences. And as you show forth the glory of Christ, the life of Christ by holiness of life. As you turn from temptation and you live a holy life. As you turn from impatience and unkindness and live a life of love. You are showing forth over and over again the death and resurrection of Christ. You're dying to the flesh, dying to who you are, dying to your rights, and being alive to God. It is a display of the gospel. You can say with Paul, It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I have prayed to the Lord to help us to understand this tonight. We are practically and experientially united with Christ in his sufferings and in his death. This is the path of the disciple of Christ. To refuse the way of the cross in order to save ourselves from suffering means we lose the very life that we're trying to save. Now, practically speaking, let's suppose you're having a conversation with someone at work or with uh, someone in your family and a disagreement emerges. I know that probably doesn't happen very often to anyone (laughs) You begin to experience that rush of adrenaline that's preparing you for this argument or perhaps an all-out fight. And at that very moment, as a disciple of Christ, as a participant in the sufferings of Christ, you have the opportunity by the grace of your union with Christ. Let me emphasize that. By the grace of your union with Christ. You know, Carlton told us last night, that Jesus lived a supernatural life. And he did so in dependence upon the Spirit of God. And Ryan told us also that all those things that, that Carlton had emphasized were a supernatural thing that could be true in our lives as well by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it is by, listen, by the grace of your union with Christ... As his disciple, as one united to him, you have the opportunity to prove, to, excuse me, to stop fighting, to stop trying to prove you are right, to offer a soft answer, to become a peacemaker by love and patience. You have the power not to raise your voice because you are united with Christ in his death. And just as he came as a lamb to the slaughter just as He did not open His mouth. You have the power not to answer and not to threaten just as He did. And you have the power of patience and a soft answer because you've been united with Christ in His life and resurrection. We've got to learn to think in terms of being united with His death and resurrection so that we are aware that this is a time to die to the things that I am considering. Doing, saying, acting. This is a time to die. This is a time to deny myself. A time to put to take up my cross. This is a time to be alive to God. And to show the life of Christ. And you can, not in your own strength, but by the grace of that is given you through the Spirit, through your union with Christ. And incidentally, it is our union with Christ is a spiritual union. By virtue of the Holy Spirit, we are united to Him in His death and resurrection. So we have to learn to think in terms of our union with Christ. This is so important. This is the key to your sanctification. It's the key to my sanctification. I'm preaching to me too. Now, this opportunity to put your union with Christ, with Christ's death on display, comes to you day after day. And you notice verse 23, it says, Take up his cross daily. It's it's an idiom that we could translate literally day by day. Taking up one's cross day by day means a daily sacrifice. A daily sacrifice. Does that remind you of anything? In the Old Testament, Tabernacle and temple, the priest, would offer sacrifices daily. They had the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice. And those happened every day. Well, likewise, listen, you, you are the temple of God. And, and your life is a life offered to Him in worship. And every day, every morning, every evening, day after day, you are to lay yourself down in sacrifice to Him. You, to give yourself as a reasonable sacrifice to Him. A reasonable service to Him. A living sacrifice. Romans 12.1 The taking up the, of the cross implies dying to self and sin. Giving up one's rights. Laying down one's life for others. The taking up the cro- of the cross by a disciple of Jesus Christ is not a one-time event. But it is a daily sacrifice. I've read that the Romans forced a condemned man to carry his cross. And so, once he was condemned and had suffered the humiliations that they put upon him, then he would have to carry his cross on his shoulder and he would take it to wherever he's going to die. His life is already over, essentially. He said goodbye to his friends. He he is essentially a dead man. And now he is just waiting for the place where he will actually be crucified. So he carries that cross until the Roman soldier says here. And there they set it up and there he is crucified and there he dies. Well, Likewise, every day, every day, you are to take up your cross. When you get out of bed, you take up the cross. And you probably want to take too many steps before you discover, here's a place where I need to die. <laughs> and a few more steps and you'll find, oh, here is another place where I need to die. And you, you, you will learn over and over again that the death of Christ and the life of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, are the most practical truths for us as believers. If by faith we will embrace them as we encounter situation after situation and person after person. Now your life, beloved, is to be the brazen altar of sacrifice because you've been united with Him in His death. Morning and evening, we must crucify the flesh with its desires. It is your priestly work. Morning and evening, we must die to ourselves and take up our cross. Day after day, we must give ourselves in devoted allegiance to Christ and His kingdom. I think that the way we do this is that it has to be constantly in our minds what will serve the glory of Christ and His kingdom. So that when we are thinking most about what we want, what would please us, what we want from other people, um, What it is that we desire to do. When we are most inclined to think this is what I want, this is what I need, this is what I'm going to seek. And it is our self-interest that the thoughts of Christ and His kingdom come to our mind. And, And we weigh our thoughts there and we say, you know, what will most glorify God? What will most advance the kingdom of Christ? And and thinking like that changes the way we speak, changes the way we act, changes the way we spend money. It does so because the death and resurrection of Christ are so practically applied to your life. Our struggles with temptation and sin are truly a struggle against the cross. Our sin is, is really blasphemous. Sin for believers is a rejection of the cross. Christ died to set us free from sin. And how we are willing, and listen, we often are, aren't we, to carry an affection for sin in our hearts when Christ took the nails of Calvary in order to set us free from that, that very idolatry. Now, sin for believers is a rejection of the cross. you know. And, and we're like the crowds. We want Jesus and his benefits, but we want him on our terms and not the terms of discipleship that he mentions here. We want him to feed us free food, to defeat our enemies, to overcome our frustrations, to make us rich, to make us well all the time, to serve up the glories of the kingdom for our enjoyment, to give us wonderful glorious marriages, perfect children, lovely homes. We, we want the kingdom now. Now, it's like Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, I don't understand. It seems like now you think that is the reigning time. I think we, we apostles have, have been put at the end of the line and we're suffering. But for you, this seems like the time, the reigning time. You're already in the kingdom. But we're not. <laughs> he says, I don't understand that kind of Christianity. You know, it's like getting a letter from uh, Afghanistan in a conflict. Getting, getting a letter from a soldier involved in a war uh, that that where there is ongoing fighting, someone on the front lines, and he says, um, "Hey, mom and dad, uh, things are going great here. It's really a beautiful place to be. I've taken a lot of pictures. Uh, I may I may start a hobby by collecting some of the uh, natural phenomena I find here." and um, been playing uh, a lot of volleyball with the guys and the captain's really great. Uh, we're spending good time together. And you say, this just doesn't sound like a soldier's letter to me. Well, that's precisely the way we often want our Christianity to be. Are we soldiers or are we not? See, this, this passage tells us that there is sacrifice involved in the Christian life because we're identified with Christ in his death. Do not despise the cross. Do not run from the rejection you will experience because you bear Christ's name in the world. Do not believe the lie that you have lost any joy or satisfaction because you said no to the world and yes to Christ. Verses 24 and 25 take a serious accounting of what is gained and what is lost when you give yourself wholly to Christ. You may notice as you look through those verses uh, the accounting terms. Saving, losing, profiting, gaining, forfeiting. Yes, there is a cost to following Christ. But what is the cost of rejecting Christ and choosing to follow your own interests and your own pleasures and your own desires in the world? Well, I have much more to say. But I want to bring things to a close here. We didn't talk about being with Him in glory. and We did not talk too much about what it means to, for a person to want to save their life and want to lose their life. But listen to me, brothers and sisters. God is with us. Christ is with us in our sufferings. Now, I can imagine that there are people here and you are, you are experiencing suffering. I know that all of us experience sufferings to some degree, but I know there are some who experience sufferings to a great degree. Um, you may have a child that is chronically ill that requires constant care. You may not even be able to go to church regularly because of the constant care maybe of an aged parent or because of a sickness that is ongoing in your home by a family member. You may be in a marriage that is extremely difficult. And you've been to counseling and you've tried to do this and you have thought it through and you've read all the books and the fact is is that your marriage is difficult and your marriage is hard and, and you know, you're, you're in a struggle there. Uh, but you're, you're determined to follow Christ in that situation. It may be another kind of suffering. You, you may be under financial burdens and it just seems you can never see the light of day. And it is a constant thing. You have to work two jobs. And so you're you're constantly being pushed. You've got to push yourself out there again. Morning and evening, you don't have time to do the things you see other people doing. Listen, you are with Christ in your sufferings and He is with you. And even though these sufferings may be difficult, they are the opportunity for you to show forth the life of Christ To die, to die, to give up your rights, and to glorify God in that situation. And let me tell you that in the secret of your sufferings, when you are crying out to Christ and looking to Him and receiving from Him grace, because yes, I believe there is sufficient grace for us to live in all circumstances for God's glory. You know, I have to believe that because there are people in North Korea who are in prison for nothing but being a Christian and their life is awful. Their life is awful. And is there grace for that person? I believe because they are united to Christ that there is grace for that person that in their sufferings they show forth the death of Christ and in their life they show forth the the life of Christ in the Gospel, you see. And let me tell you that in the experience of our sufferings, there is a ministry of Christ to the believer in which he gives comfort and peace and encouragement and communicates himself in ways that no one else will experience. And so in the midst of all of believers' sufferings, in all believers' sufferings, sufferings and all sufferings of the believer are connected to they are connected in by some means to their union with Christ in his sufferings and in those experiences the grace of God is there to comfort and to strengthen and the reality of God in his presence the the joy that is supernatural uh, the calmness of heart that he can give listen Christ is with us because we are with Him in His sufferings. And all of these situations that you will face, whether they are big or small, are the opportunities once more for us to show that we have a fellowship in the cross of Christ. Now listen, someday Christ will return. And when He does, when He does, He is going to come in the glory, uh, His own glory, the glory of His Father and the glory of the holy angels. When He comes on that day, listen, listen, all of the world's lies about how wonderful sin is and the treasures and pleasures of this world are, how wonderful those things are, all of those lies are going to dissipate like tissue burning up. It'll be over. That facade will be totally over. And all of a sudden... Those who have suffered for Christ, those who have endured, who have participated in His sufferings, have persevered in order to show forth their union with Christ in His death and His resurrection. They will be rewarded the worth and the value of their life, of following Christ instead of following this world, instead of denying Him or being ashamed of Him. All in a moment... It will be demonstrated this was the right way. Following Christ is the way. All other ways are the ways of death. Yeah. And, and all those who pursued those other things, who gained even the whole world, will discover that they destroyed their own soul. Oh, how we thank God that He sent His Son. His Son died for us and rose again. And we have been united with Him through the Gospel, through faith. May God help us to understand these truths.